Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. Great to see you all. I wrote some things down. They look foreign. It'll be fine. Um, I don't look at them anyway. It's nice to know I was thinking about this, though. Um, let's pray. Dear Father, we're so happy to be here and to be together, just to, to have uh, the chance to celebrate together, celebrate uh, one of the great truths and gifts you've given us and celebrate each other and being together and having a meal together this morning and having friends and visitors and people from all over. Lord, we're, we're grateful for that. We thank you for that. Thank you for the people online who are joining us there. Thank you for the people who will get to see this later. We pray for each and every heart that hears your words this morning. We pray that you will work in love and in, for your glory. We lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all. You guys look great. All right. Um, so Easter is kind of fun because I get to kind of, you know, freelance a little bit, just kind of go off the reservation. There's no assigned passage. I, I, we, we'll get back to that uh, next week. We'll get back to Genesis. But we have instead a, a topic, and we could pretty much go anywhere in Scripture and get to the topic we have this morning. But... Um, I was thinking about Scripture and thinking about how there's a, so much of it, especially in the New Testament, so much of what we have is letters and messages and correspondence. I was thinking there's, there's something to be said for a, a written message. When's the last time you got like a, a real physical letter that was like properly done and like written and had some substance and it came in the mail and you opened it up? And I was remembering how um, when I was in basic training, that was all we had from the outside is we get these letters and there'd be mail call every day. And, um, and it, it was always sad because like, like, I, I didn't get very many. Rachel wrote me one. That was nice of her. So I married her. And um, <laughs> so, um, that's, that's a true story. And, <laughs> so, the, uh, and, but, so you'd stand there and if you didn't get a letter, it's like, oh. And when you did get it, you'd open it up and I remember I'd take it and go and smell it because it smelled like the person who wrote it. And there was something so substantive about that. And I think, I think the Lord really, he knows that. He built that into us. He, he likes written messages. And he actually crafted a, a big chunk of his scripture around just correspondence between people who cared about each other. And, the, and, and that, there's something about it that endures. And he likes words. And you hear him refer to himself as the word. And he says, my words last forever. And Paul, who knew a thing or two about letters and wrote a lot of them, and we benefit from them tremendously today, Paul, um, he used those same metaphors to explain the uh, key parts of, of how we're supposed to understand life and death and resurrection and Christ and how Jesus Christ is the reconciliation between those things. And one of the things he said is something that we don't think about very often, but it was a key point that he made. He said that you are a letter. He actually says it. We'll go there and I'll show you. But it's interesting to think about because he, he uses that specific metaphor when he's talking about letters and he's talking about how God wrote a death letter on stone and that was the law. And then he wrote a, a life letter in Christ. But then he says, you're a letter. So let's go, if you want to open your uh, scripture, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And what I want you to listen for is, wait a second, if I'm a letter, 
If I'm a, a written message, then who wrote it and where's it written and who's delivering it and where's it going and how was it written and what does it say and who's reading it? And if we can get to an understanding of that metaphor, I think it will be helpful today because the letters that Paul's talking about are the reconciliation of life and death. And Christ is that, that living reconciliation of life and death. That's what he is. He reconciles all sorts of, of, of things that, that we, we can't reconcile in and of ourselves are reconciled in Christ. And what, two of those things are life and death. And today on Easter, it's appropriate because he is the forerunner to show that those things are reconciled. So he's one letter. We're another letter. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, and I'm, I'm reading out of the uh, ESV. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Why? So that answers some of the things, but it doesn't answer everything that I asked about what do we need to know about this letter. So first of all, why is he talking about tablets of stone? Well, tablets of stone were the commandments. And, what, and part of the metaphor he's building here is God revealed in glory something about himself when he put down the commandments, and he put them down on stone. And when that happened, Moses, who was there, who was witnessing the glory of God and having that conversation with God and was there watching this be written by the finger of God on stone, when he came down, his face was shining so much he had to veil it. And Paul's referencing back to that event, and he's saying there's that letter, but that letter was ultimately a letter of death. That letter brought death because it showed how unqualified we are to be in God's presence because we can't live up to what that letter requires. And who that letter actually ultimately killed was Christ. He was the death to satisfy that law. But now Paul's saying, but there's a new letter that's even more glorious that's being written, and you're part of it. It says you're part of that letter. So let's go back and look at what he said. The letter is from Christ. He's the sender of the letter. The letter is delivered by the apostles and teachers. Before this, Paul was referencing his relationship with this Corinthian church, his, his authority and his leadership in the church. And, and he's saying, this letter is delivered by us. So he's not saying that the teachers and the apostles wrote it. He's saying, Jesus wrote it. We're delivering it. The letter is written on human hearts. So this, this letter that is more glorious than the old law is written on our hearts. That's the, the, the medium. Well, not the medium. It's, it's, the, it's the basis. The medium is the Holy Spirit because it says the Holy Spirit writes it on our hearts. So what does, he, what does it say? Because he doesn't reference that here. He goes on and he explains some of the things it says. And then, who's reading it? That's kind of important. If there's this letter that is so important that it's being written that God requires the human heart to write the letter, who's reading it? 
So flip a couple of pages uh, over to Ephesians. This is one of many places that Paul tells us. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Those of you who were at the youth retreat, this, some of this will sound familiar. I'm just, this is just one spot where Paul explains who the audience is for the message. Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verse 10, so that, and he's talking about bringing a light, and that's the same thing he's discussing back in uh, Corinthians. We'll go back to the Corinthians, so, but we know the context is right, because he's still talking about bringing light. We'll start in verse 9, and to bring the light for everyone, what it, to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's the audience for the letter. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I think this is really, really important, to, and, and you know I bring this up a lot, but it's really, really important to keep reminding us that we're not in this just for ourselves. Our salvation is very important to us, and it's between us and God, but there's an audience to it. There's a whole audience watching what's happening and what changes in our hearts as the Holy Spirit works and writes on our hearts a very, very important message. And we just read that part of that message is about the wisdom of God. So we know that's one of the things that the message is showing to the audience. They're learning about the wisdom of God. And if we continue on, if we go back to our 2 Corinthians passage, go back to 2 Corinthians 3, if you go further on in that same chapter, he starts talking about light again. Sorry, let's go to uh, chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6. God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give, now this is the message, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The message and the letter is the glory of God. And Jesus, j just as Moses watched God author that letter and then had his face shining as a result, but had to veil it, then what Paul tells us is that Jesus, who's the, the bearer, the, the, uh, who, who's the, the bearer and the author of this letter by the Holy Spirit, is showing the glory of God and it's shining in his face. And Paul's saying, this glory, this letter, is much, much more glorious than the old letter. So you are actually, in Christ, a message to the whole cosmos that God is to be glorified. That's what you're doing here on earth. That's the point. So why would we talk about this on Easter? We talk about this on Easter because we're told that Christ is the forerunner to show that that's what's happening. So Christ was the first one who was able to, in and of himself, because he's God, live that out and manifest that message. And it was a very powerful message. And to drive it home, he made billions of image bearers, and he's going to keep reconciling them to himself. And he's going to keep bringing them through the same process, replicating himself through the same process. That's what we're made to do. 
to be like Christ, to show the glory of God, and to demonstrate it in the love and the glory and the wisdom and all these characteristics of God that he says, you're here on earth to learn it and show it. That's what we're supposed to do. And the stakes are really high. We're here to, to get to know God, to understand more and more about his love, so that we can be a living, written demonstration of his glory and his wisdom and his power. And he does that by conforming us to be like Christ. First in our hearts, that's where it starts, but that's not where it stops. And that's where it gets really, really exciting. It gets really, really exciting. Let's go to uh, flip a couple pages to the left from where you are in 2 Corinthians and go to 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Just a quick reference verse on what I was saying, that Christ is the forerunner to demonstrate what he's doing. You can look at verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he's the first. He's the leader. And we're going to follow him. As we re- go, follow down to verse 49, it says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What's he talking about when he says we've borne the image of the man of dust? Well, you don't have to flip back unless you want to, but that verse I was just saying that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the very next thing he says is, but, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. So the metaphor he's painting there is we have these these human bodies, these earthly vessels that we navigate through this life And our bodies are jars of clay containing a priceless treasure. Now, what's the thing about a jar of clay? It's not very glorious. It's not very durable. They break and crumble and dry out. Some of us feel that more than others, and some days more than others. But we have this in jars of clay. And the reason he's pointing that out is he's saying it's a temporary vessel. It's a temporary vessel. And just as we're bearing the image of the man of dust, who was Adam, ultimately we get to bear the image of the man from heaven, who is Christ. And that's a physical change. Just as Jesus walked in an earthen body, an earthly body that broke and died, he was resurrected with a heavenly body. It's just as real. It's just as real. It's just a lot better. And we're told that when he comes back, when he returns, then in a twinkling, in an instant, we get transformed into those kinds of bodies. It's a promise in Scripture. And that's why the resurrection of Christ is a really big deal. It's a really big deal because it's not merely that Jesus triumphed over evil. That is very, very important. But it's also the signal to the future He's showing what's going to happen on a cosmic scale, and it involves all of us. That's why the resurrection has such hope for us. It's it's not simply that Jesus paid for our sins, so if we repent, then we don't have to be condemned to hell. That is really, really good news. But there's more to it. He's saying that you get elevated like Christ in his family, 
as part of his family, and it's a cosmic demonstration of the victory of Christ over sin to everybody who's out there, all the rulers, all the authorities, all the principalities. And some of them, we know from Scripture, are watching very carefully, and some of them are rejoicing in those victories, and some of them are actively working to ruin it and to make sure that as few people as possible get to participate in what Christ did. And that's why Paul is constantly hammering on this idea that our, our struggle is not against each other. We don't struggle against flesh. He says in this very passage that we can't start thinking of everybody in earthly terms. He said we used to even regard Christ in earthly terms, but we don't anymore. We see who he really is. And if that's true of Christ, and if Christ says it's going to be true of each other, then that's how we ought to regard each other, not in earthly terms, but in terms of who Christ is and what he's shown us about each other. Let's go to, keep going to uh, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start at the beginning. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, again, temporary vessel, tent is a temporary vessel. Our bodies are temporary. If the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building, which is not temporary, from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. It's not that we don't want to have a body, because you got to have a place to live. It's that we want the kind of body for which we're really made. But that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Easter's a big deal because Jesus is a demonstration of the truth of that. He's the demonstration that the problems that we have in this life, the struggle and the change and the sorrow and the difficulty and the brokenness and the betrayal and all those things that we have in this life are acknowledged in Christ. We're not supposed to say that those things don't count. They count. They count. The difficulty counts and the suffering counts. We're constantly uh, compared to Christ's suffering. And it says we're actually made like him in suffering. Because he acknowledges it, and then he swallows it up with life, with victory. He swallows it up and raises it up to something greater. And the point of that is, it's supposed to be groaning in the meantime. Groaning not out of complaining, not out of complaint, but groaning out of hope for what we have, for what's coming next. Groaning with longing for what he's going to bring us, knowing that at the other side of this journey, everything that we've been made for will swallow up everything that we've suffered in the meantime. And that without Christ, there was no way for that to happen because we in and of ourselves couldn't defeat death, but Christ defeated death on our behalf so that we can be swallowed up by life in the meanwhile, he says, we are of good courage. Go to verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a, it's a present tense promise, guys. And th- so this is Paul, when people say that, well, if, the, if, there is a, if there is a God, why do we have suffering on earth? This is not something that the Bible doesn't have answers for. He's explaining that our entire purpose on earth is to learn who God is through the beauty and the sadness, through the suffering and the joy. We get to experience God in every dimension. And those who don't get that opportunity, the rulers and authorities in these heavenly places, they don't get that opportunity, so they got to watch what we learn. That's what we're doing here. That's our identity and our purpose because we're, we're actually a message to them, a message written by Christ on our hearts with the Holy Spirit, delivered by the apostles and the teachers and, and all the work and all the groundwork that they laid for this. And I don't know about you, but that makes, that makes the suffering more meaningful. And it doesn't mean that we should feel it less. If anything, feel it more. Not for suffering's sake, but for Christ's sake. The whole purpose of the suffering, the whole purpose of the, the, the letdown in life and the, the sadness and the struggle and the hard times, everything that we suffer is to show us something about God. And when we see him swallow it up with life, when we see him swallow all that up with life and conform us to Christ as he's promised and provide us with an appropriate vessel that doesn't break, when that happens, then the, it, it's, it's, it's the aha moment of all ahas. And then he's, what he's going to do is he's going to put you with Christ and say, now let's look at what you learned. Let's look at your life. With no condemnation, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's absolutely clear. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no retribution. Christ took all that. He took it. He's just saying, what did we learn? That something about the learning, experiencing process is permanent. It's a permanent thing. It's the whole point of why God makes us. He makes us to experience him. That's our job, is to experience him. And if you're going to experience God and understand him, then you're also going to experience the enemies of God and what they hate about him. And we're the ones who walk in that juxtaposition between those two things. We're the ones who walk in life and death. We're the ones who carry life in bodies of death. We're the ones that look to the the life of Christ because of the death of the law. We're the ones that have to recognize that we can't live up to the law, and when we don't, it brings death and consequences and brokenness. And sometimes we're the instrument of that, and it hurts. And sometimes we're the receiver of that, and it hurts. But we also, all along the way, are seeing what God is really like. And what the the enemy wants to do is he wants to say, see, because of this and this and this, you can't trust him. He doesn't like you. There's no, his promises aren't real. It's not real for you. It doesn't apply to you. Turn away from him. Just walk in the death. All that life stuff that's not true, it's a myth. He doesn't even, he, 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 and if it was true, it's not for you. 
because look at this and look at this and look at this. And those are lies from the pit of hell. That's destruction and lies. And they're, they're very easy to want to believe. The other side of the lie that the enemy will tell us is, you can do it on your own. You can do it on your own. Yeah, his law is kind of incomplete. You've actually got, you know that, that, that beauty, that, that image that you're carrying inside of you? That's all you need. You don't need anything else. That's enough for you. You don't need anything else. Carry it for yourself. Manifest yourself. That's all you need is that, that, that perfect image that God gave you. Just keep working towards that, working towards that, working towards that. But Scripture doesn't tell us to work towards our own image. It tells us to work towards the image of Christ. And then the great promise if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, it should be a couple pages to the left. The great promise, I'm going to go back at verse 49, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're a message. You're a, a, a specific, handcrafted, tangible, walking, living letter from God. And just like any letter, any good letter, it has its joy and its sorrow. It has its poignancy. It has its meaning. It has its desire for reconciliation, which is the whole point of a letter. The desire to bring together things which are apart. And it has its hope for the future. And it's the glory of the life that Christ brings written on our hearts so that his face shines with the glory that, that Paul tells us won't be veiled. That's why he says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You don't have to wear the veil. Moses had to wear the veil. And the law, if you're always looking at the law, the law will continue to veil your hearts because you can't see that glory very well. But when the veil comes off and you can see the real glory of God, then we're conformed to that image of Christ and the glory and the wisdom and the love of God is on walking, living display for everyone to see. And we have the great honor, the great honor of being that for our king, of being a faithful message for our king. And everything he has in your life is for that purpose. That's why the two of you are going to stand together and look at your life and you're going to see the message he wrote. And it's not going to make sense. And you'll say, oh, that's why that happened. That's what I was supposed to see there. That's what I learned about God there. 
That was my missed opportunity over there. This is what God would do. That's what I did, but it's okay. I'm not condemned for it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'll have the worship team coming up while we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for life, this life, this weird in-between life where we carry the incredible treasure of the knowledge of your glory, even a flicker of it in our hearts, but in these broken bodies, these jars of clay. Thank you, Lord, that we get the, the honor of being designated as messengers or as messages, really, walking, living messages. And Lord, let us look at each other in that light, in the light of what's eternal, not in the life of what's temporary, but to look at each other and say, look at what God is doing with that message, who he loves so much. How do I help make that message brighter? How do I help make that message experience the love of God even more today? How do I reduce the suffering and increase the love when, with everybody I come across, everybody you've put in my life, so that we can struggle together towards greater and greater love for you? Lord, inspire us in that. And thank you most of all that you showed us how it's done. You walked in a jar of clay. You carried and lived in a temporary tent and you had it broken for us. You weren't looking at what was temporary. You were looking at what was eternal, what is eternal. Thank you that you walked and were willing to, to die so that we can be reconciled to who we really are. And Lord Jesus, we have such hope in that resurrection because what you demonstrated is that it, what you say in this book is true because you walked it for us. You went first and you said, I'm going, I'm preparing a place for you, I'm, I'm coming back to get you and you're coming with me. And that's what we look towards, Lord. And we know because of your resurrection that it's true. So Father, thank you for giving us that tangible proof of how good your word is. Let us worship you together. Amen. Let's worship together, and I'll come back and lead us in response time. It's very important that we remember moment by moment and day by day that we return to how our king says he feels about us because the enemy is constantly trying to convince us of the opposite. You know why Jesus says that he wants us to be like little children? What's the difference between little children and adults? Trust. Hope. They haven't been through enough to decide that it's not worth it. It's the truth. They, they look and say, it's going to be awesome. They can, and they can get excited about anything like that. Well, what happens to us in life is as, as life, you know, breaks different things down and we get disappointed and disillusioned, and sometimes we start believing some of those lies, then we stop the hope, and we stop the trust, and we say, it's not going to be. I'm not sure if that's true after all. I don't know if that's really that. I don't even know if God likes me. Well, that's not how little children think. 
and the, the process of life, what, what God wants for you in life is to refuse to let go of the truth. No matter what happens, no matter how much you mess up, no matter what hope gets cracked, he wants you to learn that he is true and that what he says is true. Here's a simple, basic truth that we forget all the time. He says it, and we struggle to believe it. God's watching everything about your life. He's with you, and he likes you. And he's proud of you, and he loves you, and he's not holding any of it against you, not one thing. When he looks at you, his walking, living, handcrafted message you make him very happy today, yesterday, tomorrow. And when you're sad, he's sad with you. And when you're questioning everything, he's rooting for you. And he's saying, return to the things you know are true. I gave you my word so that you know it's true. I gave you, the, I gave you these things in your life to hang on to, to believe what I said. And you'll, you'll fail sometimes but he wants to keep bringing you back to it and bringing you back to it. And as you walk through all the different things and as you experience a million reasons not to believe what he says, he wants you to say, I still believe what he says. I still believe what he says. I don't know why, I don't know how, but man, I trust him. Even though I get hurt sometimes, even though I can't see a way out half the time, even though I'm completely inadequate, and even though I don't want to do the things he's asking me to do, I still trust him. Keep choosing him. Keep choosing love. Keep insisting that there is a reason to hope and that there's a reason for joy. And Jesus Christ is that, the great illustration of that. And it's, it's his voice you get. It's his spirit there with you. And God gives that to you to keep reminding you and say, don't let go. Don't let go. And if you did let go, grab back on. Because I'm not letting go of you. You're still with him. And he says, trust me, it's all going to make sense. It's all going to pan out. And you're going to have no doubt in that moment that he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And you're going to have that, a sense of, of home and belonging and identity. And you're not, you're not even going to care about the old body you left behind because that's not you. You're leaving it behind. He's going to give you a new one. And then you'll be home. And we'll be together. We'll be able to see, when we look at each other, we're going to see the message that he wrote. And they're all unique. And they're all perfect. And they're all beautiful. And they're all saying the same thing. They just all got there a different way. It's pretty neat, isn't it? That's what Scripture tells us. And the reason Jesus is so important is because he went through all of it for our sakes so that the message wouldn't have to be lost, so that all the enemies of God cannot crush down that, that resounding conclusion that God is to be glorified, that he is wise, that he is loving, that he is good, that everything he says is true, and that his words last forever. 
and that nothing can overcome him. Jesus lived and died as, as that demonstration, as that reality for us, and it's only through him that we get to participate in that reality. And you can't reject him. You can't reject the walking message that you are and expect that somehow you're still going to get all the benefits of it because that's the whole point of your life. You can't come to a conclusion in your life that actually it's not God, it's me. That's the wrong answer. It's the wrong answer. And the whole point he's trying to make through everything he shows you in life and while you're sitting here listening to this is for him to say, don't come to that conclusion. It's a lie. And if you insist on hanging on to it, your message is going to be that you were wrong. And that's not a pleasant message because it never ends. Come to the conclusion that it's not you, it's him. And he'll say, and then the message will be, you're right. Because at the end, it's going to be God is to be glorified. So Jesus walked in a jar of clay. He walked in a tent. And he carried the same knowledge of the glory of God, but he carried it perfectly, and it was perfectly bright. And, but he felt the death. He went through everything we went through. Scripture guarantees that to us. And then... Because that message is so important, and because he wanted us to be able to carry it successfully, then he said, okay, I will demonstrate with my own body, the only temporary body he had, that the suffering is worth it, that you are worth it, and that you can trust God. And he walked it out into the cross to say, look, it's not about the body. It's not about this life. It's about what's to come and the suffering's worth it, and you're worth it, and you can trust the Father. I'll show you. And that's what he did. And he told us to remember him. He told us to remember the suffering. That's what communion is. When we come up and take communion together, it's remember the suffering. Embrace that suffering. The suffering that points to what's true. And remember what Christ said about it, not what the enemy says about it. You guys are beautiful messages just magnificent. And your creator really likes you. He really likes you. He really likes you. And you can trust him. Let's pray and then take communion together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you died for us and that you rose for us. We thank you, Lord, that we get this, this annual reminder of just, just to meditate on just that, we pray that we'll meditate on it every single day. And we pray that we, get the, we thank you for the regular reminder of communion that the suffering was worth it. And this is temporary, and we can trust you. Lord, no matter how tempted we are to believe anything else, let us come back to that truth because it's always true. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, take communion as, as personally as you, as you like. Those are, it's for those who are in Christ, and let's continue to worship together.